Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, August 28th, 2022, we continue our series titled Romans, Gospel for All Time. Today's sermon, Real Love, will be taught to us by Pastor Thomas Slager out of Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 13. But first, here's a quick recap of last week's sermon. Paul here in chapter 12 is challenging the Roman believers to start serving. They needed to be prodded to serve. You know, serving and the attitude that we exhibit when we serve says everything about us. It only makes sense that if we say, I'm completely devoted to Christ, that you would also serve him. The two would go hand in hand together. It's in our serving, see, that we become who God wants us to be. And we do what God wants us to do. Look, let me encourage you, when you find your gift, it will be a joy to use it. But even better than that, when you use your gift, you will become a gift to the church. And you'll find out what your purpose is. Hey, we're going to start things off a little bit differently this morning. Um, We're going to do a little word association exercise. I'm going to say a word, and I want you to think about it and even share with the person next to you what it brings to mind first. Before we do that, just turn this one around real quick. Be like, hey, I'm so-and-so, so so we can get to know each other first. Because some of these are... No, do it. Just say, hey, hey, I'm so-and-so. If you're not into that, say, like, I want to talk to you, and that's fine. All right, these are going to be really easy, low-hanging fruit words. We're going to say words like politics. And all I want you to do is just, I'm just kidding. We're not going to talk about politics this morning. (laughs) Easy words. The first word I have for you. First thing that comes to mind, I want you to share it with your neighbor. First word when you hear the word music. Come on. You got to talk. And sync. Eminem. Stephen Curtis Chapman. <laughs> Praise. All right, what you guys got? Someone from over this section, give me something. Love, worship. Got them joy, got them Christians in the house this morning. That's good. <laughs> you guys sound like first service. That's the fruit of the spirit. That's love and joy, not music. So you're, that's fine. But that's good. How about over here? Creation. Creation. Thank you, rock and roll. Oh, there's a dash. It's one of those hyphenated words, rock and roll. What else over here? One Direction. Metallica. T-Swizzle. All right, that's good. Let's do another word. Let's do another word. And we can be honest here. You don't got to be like, I only listen to Christian music. Like, I <laughs> don't lie in church, Okay. Um, second word, second word I have for you is food. Food. See, this is wonderful. All of our students over here are used to having fun in church, and they're like, I will talk. You don't even have to ask us to talk, and we'll talk. All right, food. What do you guys got? Food. Carrots. Get out. You're not welcome to my house. Carrots. What? Warts? What'd you say? Morton's. I'll go to lunch with you. Not going to lunch with Carrot Guy, but I'm, I'm your dude, man. Let's go. One more. Give me one more food from over here. Nourishment. Idolatry. Tacos. These are my friends. Sushi. Okay, last word. Last word. Travel. 
travel. I, there are so many people just said Hawaii. All right, what do we got? I hear, I hear Israel. Disneyland. Got the kids in the back, the Burke fam. A dollar? Where are you going for a dollar? Oh, dollars. Yes, expensive. Yeah, give me one more. Fun. All right, final word. Final word. Michigan. Michigan. Thanks, babe. It's my wife. I called babe for the record. Final word. Final word. And I want you to not just say what you think, but maybe what some people in your life would think when they hear the word Christian. Oh, it got quiet, my friends. Christian. Ooh, I hear some different, different themes arising. I've heard trustworthy, and I've also heard judgmental already. Loving. What's that? Follower. Yep. Judgmental. See, here's the thing. When we start talking about Christians, uh, we're going to get all sorts of answers. Right, I Googled this this week. I typed it into the Google machine. Like, what do people think of Christians? And the spectrum you get is, is pretty broad. And it's not always on the positive side. We've heard trustworthy, we've heard loving, we've heard follower. The first responses I saw were things like bigots, hateful, judgy. Or what's a real big one that people have against Christians? Hypocrisy. Now, it shouldn't be a surprise to us. Jesus even said, hey, people didn't like me. In fact, they hated me. And if they hated me, they're probably going to hate you. Jesus also said, uh, if the world loved you, it's because you belong to the world. They'll embrace you as their own. But there's one word. Jesus said, there's one thing that we're meant to be known by, that if anyone knows you're a Christian, a follower of Christ, it should be because of this one thing. John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus speaking, he says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, there's the standard by which we love each other, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciple. And disciple means follower. And that's what we're trying to do here with Highlands Church. We're trying to equip the church to follow Jesus. That's what we want to do. We just want to follow Jesus. We're not real concerned about being religious and doing all the right things. We just want people to follow Jesus. And Jesus says, by this, all people will know that you are my follower if you know a lot about the Bible and stuff. I think that's what he said. By this, all people will know that you are my follower if you make sure your church attendance is perfect. Well, we're all out. By this, all people will know that you are my follower if you do all the religious stuff. We know he didn't say any of that. What is it? Say it if you know it. By this, all people will know that you are my follower if you have what? Love for one another. That's the defining characteristic that should define God's people, love. They should know you're a follower based upon the way that you love people. But what is love? Right? What is love? You think about love, you ask Webster, Webster says it's a noun, it's a thing you feel. Just affection, this feeling. You can fall into it and you'll fall out of it just as quickly. You can find it. 
And you can lose that loving feeling and it can be gone, 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 whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not the way the Bible speaks about love. The Bible speaks about love as an action. Something we do, something that shows, something that moves, something that compels us to act. Not just a feeling. Now, if God was going to give us a description, if he was going to say, hey, if you want to know what it looks like to love, because that's what people are going to know you for, I want my people to be known for love. If God were to say, let me set out for you what love looks like, uh, that's this passage, Romans chapter 12, 9 through 13, where we see exactly what love does. He shows it to us. Love that moves, love that acts is this type of love. So if you haven't turned there, Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 13, um, if you don't have a Bible, you can Google search it and follow along there. There should be a Bible in the seat back in front of you. If you don't own one, you can take that, read it, believe it, do what it says. I promise it'll change your life. Romans 12, 9 through 21 says this, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. It's quite a long list. Let's pray and ask for God's help once more. God, well, it's my voice that's been heard. We know this morning it's your word that's been spoken and we trust your word is the authority for our life. God, will we not be conformed to the ways of the world this morning, but will we be transformed by the renewing of our mind? And God, we ask that you would do that through the power of your spirit and the power of your word this morning. God, would everything we say and do bring glory to you and you alone. In Christ's name we pray, amen. If you were to continue on from verse 9 through 21, just a heads up, you'd read no less than 30 commands. 30 commands. Up until this point, and, and up until a few weeks ago, a lot of Romans has been a lot of deep doctrine, heady theology, helping us understand who God is, helping us understand life. And now he kind of makes that turn and says, now that we know who God is, here's what we should do. Here's what God has done. Here's what we ought to do. 30 commands. In fact, you'll see um, in our passage today, especially in the outline, we have a 10-point outline. I don't know if you've ever taken a preaching class or read a preaching book. I'm sure you haven't. But rule number two is don't preach a 10-point sermon. Uh, but I think we have to this morning because here's the deal. I think Paul, the author of Romans, is going for this shock factor type of thing where he says, if you want to know what love looks like, here's what love does. Let's latch on to a couple of those this morning. Don't leave with an expectation of after I leave this morning, all 10 of these things, I'm gonna have them on lock. Maybe just latch on to a couple. In this area of the way I love people, I'd like to see myself follow Christ better when it comes to, and then you fill in the blank. Let's start with verse nine. Verse nine says, let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. Little reminder, the Bible wasn't written in English. It was written in Greek, Hebrew, and a little bit of Aramaic. And sometimes our English translations don't really show what's going on perfectly within the text. If we were to look at the Greek in this, uh, what the Greek actually says is the love unhypocritical. The love unhypocritical. Almost like there's no verbs at all in that. Our English text says, let it be, there's, there's verb there. there, the original, there, there's no verb at all. It almost serves like a title. 
like a title to a poem or a title to a short story, real love. And I love that he uses the word unhypocritical because he's referring to something very specific. See, back in the day, like ancient Greek plays and everything, people would go to these plays and the actors were called hypocrites, not if you've heard this before. Some of you probably have, right? They were called hypocrites. And what they would do is they would hold masks, much like we see people do for fun nowadays with like uh, masquerade parties and everything else, right? They'd hold the mask and they'd play multiple parts within that play. They'd memorize their lines so they say the right things, They would emote the right way so the message is delivered properly. They would act, they would pretend, and they would play the part. The love that God's calling us to is a love that doesn't just play a part. See, we've all been played by someone's love, and we've probably played that role of someone who wants to appear loving. How you doing, man? How you doing good? Man, so great to see you. Grace of God be with you. I'm praying for you this week. Jerk. Oh, yeah, 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 we should totally get together. Nope. This is what we do. We put on the face, we say the right things, we say the right things the right way, and we play the part of love. Here, Paul, the author of Romans, calls us to stop playing parts, actually really love people. So what we see is 10 things that follow. What does real love do? What does real love look like? First thing, real love hates what God hates and loves what God loves. Seems like an easy one, right? Verse nine says, abhor, that means hate what's evil, hold fast to what is good. It's important to remember here, we're speaking of this in the context of relationships. And we're not just talking about hating moral evil and loving moral good. We're talking about hating and loving things about people. Which sounds incredibly complicated. How, how, do, how do we do this? How do we hate things that are going on in someone's life or love things that are going on in someone's life? You've probably heard that saying, love or hate the sin, but love the sinner, right? Because that's where we're all at. We've all got stuff in our life that shouldn't be there. And we're called to love one another through it, but not necessarily affirm every single thing that someone decides to do. The big question is how? How would we do something like that? My recommendation is that we do it like Jesus. We love like Jesus. John chapter 114 says that Jesus is full of grace and full of truth. I think sometimes Christians try to be so gracious that they're afraid to tell the truth. You have example after example. Jesus with the woman at the well, incredibly gracious towards her, but also confronts her on her sin in a way that's loving and respectful. Galatians chapter six, verse one says, brothers, if anyone's caught in transgression, some kind of sin, you who are spiritual, this is probably referring to those who are more mature in their faith, should restore him in a spirit of what? Gentleness. Gentleness. Keep watching yourself, lest you too should be tempted. We can think of Matthew chapter seven, where Jesus shares this parable of the law guy. Do you remember this? Where he says, judge not, lest you be judged. And he says, why, essentially, why are you so concerned with the speck in someone else's eye when there's a log sticking out of your face? He says, first, deal with the log in your own eye. Get right with God. Confess that thing. Repent and get rid of it. 
Sometimes we look at that parable and it says, see, Jesus, Jesus says never confront people on their sin. He says, leave the speck in their eye. Now Jesus says, get the log out of your own eye, deal with your stuff so that you can help your neighbor, help your brother, help your sister in Christ. Get the speck out of their eye. I think when we think about it, we're probably, the reason this doesn't happen is because we're more concerned what people might think about us. We're more concerned what people might say about us. We're more concerned with what people might do towards us than we are concerned about their actual well-being. If I confront them on this, things might get weird. But this is what real love does. Real love hates evil and loves good, and they do this. We do this in a way that that Jesus did. Real love hates what God hates, loves what God loves. That's the first thing. Second thing, real love is loyal. Real love is loyal. Verse 10 says, love one another with brotherly affection. There's an element of devotion here that's not super well um, represented in our English translations. Again, if we look at this first word, love one another, uh, we see this Greek word for love, storge. It's this devoted, loyal kind of love. You go towards the end, love one another with brotherly affection. This is that um, Philadelphia, that brotherly love type thing. So we could read this more like be devoted to one another in familial love, which I'm not sure about you, but I have a different kind of devotion and loyalty, uh, loyal love to my family than I do to other people, just naturally, because it's my family. I grew up with four brothers, and we would fight like crazy, and at the end of the day, as much as we didn't get along, they're still my brother. Still my brother. Like we at times wanted to kill and fight each other, but at, at, at any moment we were willing to fight for each other because that's my brother. It's loyal, it's devoted. I can't believe your mom said that. You know, you know, I get it. It's my mom. I can't believe your dad would go do such a thing. Okay, I get it, but listen, it's my dad. I love him, I care for him. That's my brother, I love him. That's my sister, I love him. It's my mom, it's my aunt, it's my uncle, it's my grandma, my grand. I love them. That's the type of love we're called to within the family of Christ, within the church, is this loyal, devoted love. We don't quickly abandon one another when sinned against. We're devoted, we're loyal. Real love is loyal. Third thing, real love puts others first. Real love puts others first. He goes on and says, outdo one another in showing honor. Sometimes when I think of honor, for whatever reason, I think of like putting a crown on a king or kissing a ring or bowing down to someone's feet, which is not super culturally relevant for us here um, in North Scottsdale. Uh, Think of honor more as value. Outdo one another in valuing each other. This word outdo actually means go first. Okay, not just wait and then pour it on at the end. It's be quick to value someone. Be the first to value someone. Don't just wait for them to do something. You go and you initiate. You initiate showing value, showing love, showing honor. Philippians 2, verses three through five says this, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Value them more than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. That's the mind of Christ. That's the mind we ought to have. Jesus, the Son of God, all authority, all honor, all praise, worthy of everything, humbled himself to the place of a servant, 
so that he could love us through it. That's the example we have in Christ. In our pursuit to follow Christ, we look to the example of Christ and we follow him and we live like him. Real love puts others first. The fourth thing, real love doesn't procrastinate. Real love doesn't procrastinate. This one hits too close to home. Where's my fellow procrastinators at? Some of you are late to even raise your hand. (laughs) You're like, okay, fine. Right, you know who you are. Hey, when's the trash get picked up? In about 10 minutes, plenty of time. We'll get it out. Someone asked me this morning, hey, you ready? You ready to give the word this morning? I will be, I got some time. We'll get there. When's your paper due? Tomorrow. When are you gonna do it? I'll get it done, plenty of time. That's just been, that's like, it's been who I am. I procrastinate, I wait. When it comes to our love, real love doesn't just procrastinate. Verse 11 says, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit. Be fervent in spirit. It's a Greek idiom. It means to like boil inside. It's not just be open to love, but it's pursuing others to love them. Not just waiting until the last minute to love them. You know, I'll forgive them someday. You know, I'll, I'll, you know, I will make it right someday. No, real, real love doesn't procrastinate. It pursues others. It has a desire to love, not just an openness and willingness to love. Real love doesn't procrastinate. The fifth thing, real love serves Jesus by serving others. Real love serves Jesus by serving others. Here he says, serve the Lord. Where in a list of things where, okay, here's real love, real love for God's people, here's what it looks like. Why does he say, serve the Lord? Like I thought we were talking about loving people. And, and what Jesus says, one of the best ways you can love me is by loving my people. I know that's true for me. One of the best ways you can show me love is if you love my family. If you want to show me love, love my kids. If you want to show me love, love my wife. This is what God has said. If you want to show me love, love my people. If you want to serve me, serve my people. That's why we've got this whole ServeCon thing going on. So everyone can get involved in serving the Lord through serving the Lord's people. Matthew 25, to give you some context, Jesus, he's addressing a group of people and he tells this story. He says there's, there's a group of people on his right and a group of people on his left. And he turns to one group and he says, man, blessed are you. When I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was naked, you gave me clothes. And they're like, we didn't, we didn't do any of those things, Jesus. I don't ever remember you hungry and giving you food or thirsty and giving you a drink. And he says, no, surely, but when you did it to one of the least of these, you did it unto me. And then he turns to the other group and he says, hey, cursed are you. When I was hungry, you didn't give me anything to eat. When I was thirsty, you didn't give me anything to drink. When I was naked, you didn't give me anything to wear. And they're like, whoa, Jesus, we never, how do we see you? All of us would say that, right? If I knew it was Jesus, I'd give him the shirt off my back. If I knew it was Jesus, I'd give him a home-cooked meal right now. If I knew it was Jesus, I'd give him whatever he needed. But they're saying, Jesus, I never saw you. And he says, yeah, here's the deal. When you didn't do it to one of the least of these, it was like you didn't do it to me. As we serve the Lord, we serve the Lord through our service to other people. Real love 
serves. The sixth thing, real love hopes. Real love hopes. Verse 12 says, rejoice in hope. What is hope? We tend to think of hope as wishful thinking, right? I hope I get that for Christmas. I hope I do well on this test. I hope I get that pay raise. I hope I get the time off. It's all just wishful thinking. But when we talk about hope in the scripture, that's not what hope at all is. Hope is confident expectation. It's knowing that something is to be. And why, why would he say this here? Why should our love for others rejoice in hope? What's that look like? Here's what it looks like. When your friend gets a bad health report or going through something dark, you don't just say, hey, I hope that works out for you. Because what you're saying is, hey, good luck. What does real hope do in those situations? Real hope says, man, let's place our hope, our faith, our trust in Christ. Right, because God tells me, trust in the Lord with all my heart. Lean not on my own understanding. In all my ways, acknowledge him and he will make my path straight. Let's go to the Lord together and place our hope, our trust in him, knowing that he's got this. God said he'll never leave us or never forsake us. I can, I can trust in that. I can find hope in that. Psalm 23 tells me, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll feel no evil. Why? Because he's with me. Hey, we might be in the valley together through this thing right now, but guess who else is in the valley? God's in the valley. You might feel like you're going through a storm of life. Guess who's God walks across the storms? Mine does. He's with us right now. Let's look back together at what Christ has done. That's what, that's what brought us to faith in the first place. Seeing what God has done for us, that he lived the perfect life we couldn't live in his son Jesus, who died a death that we deserve to die to pay the penalty for our sin. That he didn't stay dead, he rose from the dead, defeating death, that in Christ you and I can truly live. We look back and say, man, he had it all covered then, he's dealt with it, he's dealing with it now. We hope. We hope, not just wishful thinking, we encourage one another back to the Lord. Are you familiar with the uh, magician duo Penn and Teller? No? Just making sure you're still with me here. Penn Gillette, he's quoted, Penn Gillette is an atheist. Uh, here's what he said about Christians. He said, how much do you have to hate someone to not proselytize? Proselytizing is sharing the message that you have. How much do you have to hate someone to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate someone to believe everlasting life is available and not tell them about it? That's a great question. We have the hope of the world in Jesus Christ. Real love hopes. Real love shares that message. Real love cares. That's what real love does. Real love hopes. Seventh thing, real love doesn't quit. Real love doesn't quit. He says, be patient in tribulation. What's tribulation? Tribulation's troubling times. There's another interesting one here, trying to figure out, it would be really nice if sometimes the Apostle Paul, when he wrote uh, like the letter to the church in Rome, if he could explain or elaborate a little bit you know what I mean? Be like, hey, tell us what you mean by that because we're talking about loving each other and now you're just saying be patient in tribulation. How does that really connect? Uh, let me give us three ways I think this connects and three ways we're called to love by being patient in tribulation. First thing, you've probably experienced at one time or another watching someone go through a difficult time in their life with so much grace, so much peace, so much hope that it was actually an encouragement to you. Them being patient in their tribulation was an encouragement to your own personal walk and you following Christ. 
This is why he calls us to be patient in our own tribulation so that through that hope, that peace, that grace, that love, we too can be an encouragement to the people who are in our life. Second way, God might just be refining a relationship through tribulation. This is what God does. He builds things through trials. This is what he says in James chapter one. Consider it joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials of various kinds. Why? Because it builds us into the people that God wants us to be. It refines us. It might just be through a relationship that you're in, through that tribulation, that God is refining you together. Um, Mary and I went through a difficult time when our daughter was two. You probably remember this. She got burned. We were in the ICU for a couple weeks and everything else. Typically, when a, a couple has something go wrong with the child, there's one of two effects. It drives them closer together or it drives them apart. Through that tribulation, we were driven closer together. That relationship grew. That love grew. Our relationship was refined. Third thing, maybe it means this. When you have a friend in trial, you patiently endure it with them. We bear one another's burdens. Be patient in tribulation. Let me, let me say this as a little caveat real quick. What I don't think this means is just be patient in your abuse. If someone's abusing you, just be patient. Sit in it. You'll be fine. That's not what this means at all. Okay, if, 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 if that's where you're at, if you're in a place in a relationship where that's happening, could, let, let us know. Like, we'd love to help you out of that. We don't think you should just be patient in that. We think it needs to be an expedited process to get you safe so we can love you through it. Don't sit in that. That's not what this speaks of. Real love doesn't quit. Eighth thing, real love is devoted to prayer. Real love is devoted to prayer. He says, be constant in prayer. We see this throughout the scriptures, right? Pray without ceasing. You look at Jesus with his disciples through the gospels. He says, hey, go pray. Hey, stay here. I'm gonna go over there and pray. He even says, hey, when you pray, pray like this. He talked about prayer a lot. We know in our relationship and our desire to better follow Christ, we should be praying. And here we're called to be constant in prayer for one another. That's what real love does. Real love is devoted to prayer. Colossians chapter one, verses nine through 12, Paul actually models this. He doesn't just preach it, but he says it's his practice. Beginning in verse nine, he says, and so from the day we heard, heard what? Heard of the faith that this church had. From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. This was his practice, to pray for his, his people, pray for his loved ones, pray for his brothers and sisters in Christ. So too, it should be our practice as well. Real love is devoted to prayer. Ninth thing, real love is generous. Real love is generous. Verse 13 says, contribute to the needs of the saints. Who are the saints? Are those the old dead guys in the stained glass windows on that church I used to attend? Well, if they were followers of Christ, then yes, those were saints. What's a saint? A saint is someone who follows the Lord. It's someone who's placed their faith, their hope, and trust in Christ and Christ alone for their salvation. That's what a saint is. It's not based upon the things they do, the things they wear, or any of that stuff. It's based upon their relationship with Christ. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Real love puts its money where its mouth is. Doesn't just give these empty I love yous or I hope that works itself out. James chapter two, verses 14 through 17, where it talks about how real faith works. I think this can be applied to real love as well. Real love 
also works. James 2, 14 through 17 says this, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? The answer is, that's not good. That is not real love. Real love actually meets that need. Real love works. Real love doesn't just wish things for people. It does something about it. If God's given you some good stuff, let me encourage you to start doing some good stuff with it. Serve people, meet needs, be generous. Real love is generous. Number 10, real love pursues outsiders. Real love pursues outsiders. He says, seek to show hospitality. Seek to show hospitality. Now, my um, understanding of the word hospitality was kind of rocked over the last couple of weeks as I dove into what this means. Because when I think hospitality, I typically think friends and family, have them over for dinner. The people I know, the people I love. This is kind of how we've understood hospitality, right? But when we look at this word hospitality, it's actually the word philoxenia. Philo, that brotherly love, and xenia, meaning outsider. The same way we get the word xenophobe, like a hatred or fear of outsiders. Seek to show hospitality. This is love for the outsider. This is love for the outsider. This is caring for those who aren't connected. This is caring for those uh, who are on the fringe of things. Uh, for us, what it might look like is, man, if someone's new to Highlands Church and just trying to get connected and just trying to plug in, I'm not saying like you're an outsider, uh, but I'm saying if you're new to it, we want to love you with that. We want to welcome you into our home. I'm asking another question. When's the last time you invited an outsider into your home? For whatever reason, there's probably some fear that like wells up right away. Or like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. What if my house isn't nice enough? Or, you know, what if my house is too nice? Or what if this? What if the food's not good? What if that? What if that? I just don't know if I want to have people. But this is what we're called to. Real love shows love for the outsider. What would it look like for you to love the outsider within the context of Highlands Church? Those who are just getting connected, those who are trying to plug into a group, those uh, students who are just coming to school for the first time, trying to find a place where they can be loved, feel like they belong, and actually be accepted for who God's called them to be? That'd be huge. That's what we're called to. We love the outsider. Real love pursues the outsiders. I'm gonna invite the band out as we close. The world we are, will know we are Christians by the love we have for one another. The world will know we're followers of Christ by the love we have for one another. If we were to ask your, your husband, your wife, a family member, a friend, a neighbor, a colleague, hey, give me one word that describes you, what would they say? Think about it. Would they be shocked to find out that you're a believer? This isn't meant to be a guilting thing, like I know I'm bad at this. Well, we're welcome to the club. We're all bad at this. There's no good people. People flawed by the sin in their life that God still loves. We're not, 
lovely. God didn't die for us because we're lovely. He died for us to make us lovely. He didn't see us and say, man, that guy's good. I'm gonna die for that guy, that girl, because they're good. He didn't die because we're good. He died to make us good, to make us righteous. His righteousness, not our own. So think of that question real quick. If I were to ask someone, what would they say about you? One word to describe you, what would it be? There's one word that God says we should be described. It's love. Love. Husbands, wives, let's look at our relationships real quick. Does our love look like this? Is it real? Is it genuine or is it hypocritical? Does it hate evil and love good? Like, are you actively trying to help your spouse follow Christ better? Or just saying, nah, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. They are who they are. They'll never change. That's not love. Do we wait with our love or do we hurry in our love? Do we procrastinate or do we pursue one another? Do we only love those who are in our inner circle or do we love those outside the bubble, the outsiders? That's what I want our church to be known for. I want our church to be known for love. That's my hope. That's my prayer. That people would see our church and say, man, that church is defined by their love. When I think Highlands, I think love. Their love for Christ, their love for people. And I hope and pray that like everything we do up here is, is like excellent. I hope and pray our, our sermons are good and that our, our, our worship is just phenomenal. Like I want those things and I desire those things for us, but that's all up here stuff, right? And let me tell you, any of the up here stuff that we do, well, I hope it's great. It's not meant for just this. The up here stuff is actually meant for the in here stuff. It's meant to change and transform our hearts. The up here stuff is meant to spur us on to love, love for Christ and love one another. It's meant to change us at our core of who we are. I don't want to be known for the up here stuff. I don't even necessarily want to be known for the in here stuff. The stuff I want to be known for is the out there stuff. What happens when we leave this place? What happens? Do we take this stuff or do, hey, great sermon today, pastor. And yeah, I appreciate it and that's wonderful. But if it stays here, then what are we doing? We preach a sermon on love and we think, yeah, that was great. I'm just going to love. And then we go out the doors and nothing happens. Like, what are we doing? We're just wasting time. Let's be real. The up here stuff happens to change us, change the in here stuff so that we get out there and actually love people and be known for who God has called us to be. And that's lovers of God and lovers of people. May that be our church. Amen. We're going to celebrate communion this morning. If you haven't received uh, a communion cup, I'd invite you to just go ahead and raise your hand. Someone from our communion team uh, will bring one of those over to you. Communion gives us an opportunity to do a few things. One, it gives us a chance to look back at who Christ is and what Christ has done. To see that he came and died on a cross, that he rose again, defeating death, to pay the penalty for our sin, that we could truly have a relationship with Christ, truly know him, truly follow him. We look back. Secondly, we look in. We look in to see, man, especially this morning, is the love of Christ really in my heart? Do I truly love him? Do I truly love his people? We look back, we look in, and then we also look forward, looking forward to a day when Christ will return and call us home. 
We look forward to a day where there's no more weeping, no more pain. All those things will pass away. Only perfect relationship with one another and perfect relationship with God. On the night Christ was arrested, he was in the upper room with his disciples and they were enjoying a meal. At some point during the meal, he took a loaf of bread, he broke the bread and he said, this broken bread represents my body which is broken for you. We do this in remembrance of him. In the same way, he took a cup and he said, this wine represents my blood poured out for you. We do this as often as we drink it in remembrance of him. God, we're told in our passage today to let our love be genuine. God, there is no more genuine love than what you have shown us in your son, Jesus. This morning, we rejoice in that. We find our hope in that. Jesus, you say the same way which you loved us is the way you've called us to love other people. God, we know that's difficult. It's so hard. But would you help us this week in our pursuit to follow you? Would we try to imitate you? Love the way you love, care the way you care, serve the way you serve. Would we do all these things for your glory and your glory alone? In Christ's name we pray, amen. Would you stand and join us as we respond in worship? Amen. I find my help in Christ alone. I find my hope in Christ alone. I find my peace in Christ alone. Friends, the world can be a helpless, hopeless, and peaceless place, but all of those things can be found in Christ this morning. Not sure where you're at in your life. I'm not sure if you're interested in following Jesus. I'm not sure if you're opposed to following Jesus. Maybe this morning you're deciding, I think I want to follow Jesus. We'd love to have a conversation with you. Maybe you find yourself, your heart's been stirred, you have some questions, we'll be down front, we'd love to chat. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then we shall be saved. And friends, when we get saved, when we give our life to Christ, we can find that help. We can find that hope and we can find that peace experienced through Christ and Christ alone. 1 John 3.18 says, let us not love in word or speech, but in deed and in truth. Friends, I'm so glad when God said, I love you, it wasn't an empty, I love you, he actually did something. Let our love too be genuine. May we be known, may Highlands Church be known for one thing, and that's our love, our love for Christ and our love for others, amen? Love each other. We love you guys. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.